0: Good to be with you this morning. I want to start out by giving you one more reminder about the Netherwood Park Family Encampment. That is next weekend, starts next Friday evening. Um, If you are planning on going up for any period of the weekend up there, please let me know as soon as possible. We'll be doing our shopping. We'll want to make sure that we have enough food for everybody. We'll want to make sure that we have cabin space for everybody. So please fill out one of the registration forms or send me an email and let me know that you plan on being up there and how many of you there will be and for what period of time you plan on being up there. If you're not yet planning on going, I would encourage you to change your plans. Uh, Come up. It's a wonderful time for us to be together. We really form a lot of new relationships. We deepen existing relationships. We knock stuff on the floor that probably will be important later on. It's an important time for us to be together, so please plan on being with us next weekend. Related to that, um, next Sunday we will have a combined worship service. So this early service will not meet. We'll have Bible class at its regular time and then our later service at its regular time. The reason that we do that is there will be probably 140 to 150 of us up at camp. Um, So we'll only have one service here Next Sunday, so make plans for that as well. I want to give you a Project 6K update. For those of you who may not know, Project 6K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. We have challenged ourselves as a congregation to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. And as of today, we're up to 5,132 books of the Bible read as a congregation. So good job keep up the good work. We will be passing the 6K point fairly soon, um, and we will go well past that, which is a a great thing. Because when we started this, I think that I and probably others thought 6,000 books in one year was probably a very aggressive goal. And once again, I've underestimated all of you. So thank you for participating and immersing yourself in God's Word. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we... We thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. Father, help us to be aware of all of those blessings. Help us to be aware of our complete dependency on you. And Father, help us to be aware that without Jesus Christ, this life would be without hope. And Father, we look forward to the day with great anticipation, the day that we will be reunited with you And the world will once more be as it was and as you intended for it to be. And Father, we pray that that day will come soon. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series that we've entitled, Say What? Does the Bible Really Say That? Each week during this series, we're focusing on a popular Christian cliché what we're doing is we're examining the types of sayings you might see on a coffee mug or on a t-shirt or on a poster at the Christian bookstore. Each week we're focusing on one popular cliche and we're asking the question, does the Bible really say that? And we're discovering that many of these sayings sound biblical, but it turns out that the Bible really doesn't say that. And that's obviously a problem And we're also discovering that many of these popular sayings that are meant to provide comfort to people who are going through difficult times, who are in the midst of suffering, we're finding that instead of providing comfort, what it does instead is place the blame on God for their suffering. And that's also a problem. And that's just one of the problems with today's cliché. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. You know, one of the things that happens when you start to preach about something, you start to hear a lot of things that are going on. So when I started preparing for this series and when I've been delivering this series, I've really had my radar up. I've really noticed a lot of times when these sayings are used, I hear them and I read them. And I want you to know that during this time as my radar's been up, this saying everything happens for a reason, has been used more frequently than any of the others. I've seen and heard it offered as encouragement and comfort to people who are dealing with relatively trivial trials. Things like, I walked out this morning to discover I had a flat tire on my car. And the reply comes back, well, that's a bummer. But remember, everything happens for a reason heard it used for the trivial but I've also heard it used for the very profound. The cancer diagnoses, the heart attacks, the accidental deaths of children also met with, well that's awful, that's tragic but remember everything happens for a reason. And like the other cliches that we've been looking at This saying is offered with the best of intentions, and it's offered with complete sincerity. And you know, on the surface, it's a statement that's really hard to argue with. Telling the person that has that flat tire that everything happens for a reason is technically true, right? It goes something like this. Everything happens for a reason. And the reason you had a flat tire is that you ran over a nail and that nail penetrated the rubber of your tire, which released some air and it led to a flat tire. Everything happens for a reason. But we know that's really not the kind of message that's behind this cliché. See, the message behind this cliché when it's offered is that God has a reason for giving you a flat tire. God has a reason that he's putting you through whatever pain you're going through. And you know, I think that message would be comforting if that message were only true. I mean, who wouldn't like to believe that their suffering has a greater meaning? Who wouldn't like to believe that their pain was all part of a a greater purpose? Who wouldn't like to think that everything happens for a reason and think that the reason that they are suffering is because their pain is necessary for God to accomplish some great purpose? Who wouldn't like to think that every suffering season happens for some great reason? But does the Bible really say that? And the reality is everything does happen for a reason but the reason isn't always God. Everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. So let's talk about some other possible reasons that might be behind our trials. What are some other possible reasons for our suffering? And one possible reason for something bad happening is simply physics. Physics could be the reason You know, God created our world for our benefit, and he built in certain laws and properties. They were wired into his creation. But many of those laws and properties that work for our benefit can also harm us. That's why there are safety rails at the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's why we teach our children that they should look both ways before they cross the street. It's why here in Albuquerque, especially during monsoon season, we caution people to stay out of the arroyos. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is physics. So everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. Well, here's a possible reason number two. I could be the reason Everything happens for a reason, and the reason something bad happened to me could be because I brought it on myself. See if this proverb doesn't ring true. It's Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3, and it goes this way. It says, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Maybe we should put that on a coffee mug. Right? My own foolish decisions and my own foolish actions often bring me suffering. And we're human, and oftentimes when that happens, then we want to place the blame on God. We want to ask, well, why is God doing this to me? So if you're texting and driving and you rear-end another car, it happened for a reason. But the reason wasn't God. If you spend your freshman year in college partying instead of studying and you flunk out of college, it happened for a reason. But the reason wasn't God. If your diet consists of nothing but fried foods, Cheetos, root beer, and brownies, and you never get any exercise at all, and then you have a stroke at the age of 35, it happened for a reason. But the reason wasn't God. When we reap what we have sown, we should point our finger at the person in the mirror instead of pointing our finger at God. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is me. So everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. Well, there's a possible third reason, and that's that others could be the reason. Everything happens for a reason and the reason reason something painful happened to me could be because of what someone else did. So if you are rear-ended by someone who is texting and driving, it happened for a reason. But the reason wasn't God. We know that other people lie and we get hurt. We know that other people don't keep their promises and we get hurt. We know that other people are careless and we are the ones who get hurt. We know that sometimes other people lash out in their anger and we're the ones who get hurt. We know that other people choose to get drunk and get behind the wheel of their car and then drive through an intersection against a red light and kill entire families. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reasons are the actions and the decisions of other people. So we know everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. Well, possible reason number four Satan could be the reason. Everything happens for a reason, and the reason that I'm suffering may be because of what Satan has done or what Satan is doing. I know for many of us, this is kind of an uncomfortable topic. I know that many people want to debate whether the devil is real. I know many people want to debate whether Satan is really still at work. I know many people want to debate whether the devil has any real power anymore. And I want you to know that when I read my Bible, I see that Jesus believed that the devil is real. And Jesus believed that Satan is at work. And Jesus believed that Satan is an enemy with real power. And if Jesus believed all those things, then I'm more than willing to accept that those things are all true. We read about Jesus' real temptation by Satan in the wilderness... We read Jesus' teachings about Satan's power and his deceitful ways. And we see that Jesus leaves no doubt that sometimes the reason why things happen is because of Satan. For example, Jesus told this parable, and it's a parable about Satan. It's in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did those weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And just in case we have any doubts that Jesus is talking about the real Satan with real power, he explains that parable for us in verse 37. He said, The one who sowed the seeds, the good seeds, is the Son of Man. It's Jesus. And the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. But the weeds are the son of the evil one, and the one who sows them is the devil, and in case we still have any doubts about the activity of Satan, Peter, a man who was well acquainted with Satan's power, wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He said, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is because of our enemy. It's because of the devil. It's because he's on the prowl looking for opportunities to bring us harm. You see, spiritual warfare is a reality for all of us. It's a reality for all Christians. And our enemy, the devil, he likes nothing better than to see us point the finger of blame at our God instead of pointing the finger of blame at him, our enemy. And with Satan on the prowl, bad things happen. Triggers are pulled. Planes are flown into buildings. Bombs are detonated outside of courthouses. Everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. There's a fifth possible reason, and that's fallenness. Fallenness could be the reason. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason things happen that are bad, they happen to us, is because we live in a fallen world. We need to understand something about our world. The world that now is, is not the world that was. There's this beautiful but now heartbreaking image of the world that was. The world before Adam and Eve rebelled against God. It's captured in just two sentences in Genesis chapter 1. And it says, God saw all that he had made and it was Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That's the world that was. Very good in God's eyes. But this is the world that is. Romans 8 verse 20. Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The world that was very good The world that is, is decaying. The world that was, was very good. The world that is, is groaning. See, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the reason is because we live in a fallen world that isn't what it was. And in our fallen world, cancer attacks innocent people. Arteries become clogged with plaque. Tsunamis kill innocent men, women, and children. See, creation is broken, and we can't expect it to behave in any other way. Everything happens for a reason, but the reason is not always God. But, we like to say, well, God may not have caused something to happen, but couldn't he have prevented it from happening? Couldn't the God who is seated on the throne, have, couldn't he have intervened and kept those bad things from happening? Why didn't God cause that gun to misfire? Why didn't God disable the car of that drunk driver? And we wrestle with those kind of questions, don't we? We wrestle with the activity and the inactivity of God in our world. And just in case you thought I was going to clear up and answer all those difficult questions today, I just want to assure you I'm not. You see, we're going to continue to wrestle with those difficult questions, just like the generations before us have wrestled with those questions, and the generations after us will wrestle with those questions. But just because we don't have clear answers, doesn't mean God hasn't given us direction And for some direction, I want to take a quick look at the story of Job. Most of us are at least somewhat familiar with the story of Job. Job was a good man. Maybe he was the very best man of his time. In many ways, Job was the apple of God's eye but Satan had a very different view of Job. Satan was convinced that the only reason that Job was faithful to his God was because God had protected Job, and God had blessed Job in countless ways. So God gave Satan permission to put Job to the test. And in a series of events, Job lost everything. He lost everything but his life and his wife. He lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his health. Everything but his life and his wife. And interestingly enough, Job never knew why these things had happened. Oh, Job believed that everything happened for a reason, but he never knew what the reason was. So Job doesn't really answer the question, why do people suffer Instead, what the book of Job does, it addresses this question. Will people trust God when they don't know why? When they don't know why they are suffering? And for us, here and now, that's the much more important question. See, it's the more important question for us because, because we, like Job, we often will never know the certain, with certainty the reasons Behind our suffering. So Job, the story of Job, forces us to confront this vital question. Will we as followers of Jesus Christ, will we as children of God, will we trust our God even when we don't know why we are suffering? Will we be like Job who lost everything, but kept his faith in his God. See, Job desperately wanted to know the reason. If you'll recall, his friends were sure they knew the reason. Their counsel to Job was this. Hey, Job, everything happens for a reason. And the reason these things have happened to you must be because of your sin. But God had very different counsel for Job. God listened patiently to Job's questions. He listened patiently to Job's complaints. He listened patiently to Job's groaning. And he had a very different counsel for Job. And God's counsel was this. I am God. And you are not. God's counsel was my ways are not your ways. The Lord's counsel to Job was this. Job, I don't have to exercise my sovereignty in a way that makes sense to you. He is God and we are not. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher. His ways are deeper. And most often, his ways will remain a mystery to us. And God the Creator doesn't owe it to us, the created, to act in ways that make sense to us. And so when Job listens to God and then Job responds to God's counsel, Job also teaches, teaches us how to respond when we simply don't know why. Job forty two one. Then Job replied to the Lord. He said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours is thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And I thank God that he is a God that's beyond my limited understanding. And I thank God that He is working in ways that are too wonderful for me to know and understand. But that isn't the end of the matter. Because not everything is a mystery. There are things that we can know, there are things that we do know about our God. And those are the things that bring us comfort. Those are the things that bring us encouragement. Those are the things that bring us great joy. So I want to end our time together by reminding us of what we can know when we don't know why. And The first thing is that we can know with certainty, with absolute certainty, that nothing will cause our God to stop working for our good in all things. We've talked about this scripture and we'll talk about it more throughout this series, Romans 8 28. Paul reminds us that we can know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We can know that no matter what happens, no matter why it happens, God is working for our good when it does happen. The second thing that we can know, we can know that our faith in God's sovereignty and our faith in God's goodness doesn't require us to pretend that bad things are really good things. In the midst of our suffering, we don't have to search for a silver lining We don't have to search for a bigger purpose or a greater meaning in our suffering. That isn't the definition of true faith. See, true faith trusts that God is working now and will make all things right. Make all things right someday. But we don't have to pretend that those things are right today. True faith knows that God hasn't promised immunity to those of us who love him. But true faith knows that God has promised eternity to those of us who love him. Paul, again in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God. To be revealed. See, Christians aren't different because we have fewer trials. Christians aren't different because we have different trials. No, Christians are different because we have a greater hope in the midst of our trials. And because of our greater hope, we don't grieve in our trials like those who have no hope. We don't grieve like that because we know that Jesus Christ conquered death. We don't grieve like those who have no hope because we know that in this life, in this fallen world, this isn't all there is. We don't grieve like those who have no hope because we know that the world that is isn't the world that was. But more importantly, we know that the world that is isn't the world that will be So we have greater hope. And because we have greater hope, here's what we can do when we don't know why. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, we can hold on to what God has already done. Hold on to what God has already done through Jesus Christ. And we can also hold on to what God has promised he will do. And what has God done? What has God promised that he's going to do? See, true faith trusts that God is working now and will make things right someday. And we have faith in that because we know what God has done in the past. Peter beautifully puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And you're filled with that joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. What do we hold on to in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles? We hold on to what God has already done. God raised Jesus from the dead. What do we hold on to in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles? We hold on to what God has promised he will do. And he's promised to save our souls for all of eternity. And that's how our hope can overcome the mystery and the misery of our trials so let me end by saying this, the next time that you're given that privilege, the privilege of, privilege of walking along beside someone who is in great suffering, first of all, don't feel like you have to say anything at all. But if you do speak, don't speculate on the reasons why something happened, instead speak hope. Speak the hope that's found in the work of God. Speak the hope that's found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Speak the hope that's found in the promise of eternity with our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, you are God. Father, you are alive and working. Father, it's in you that we live and it's because of you that we're able to survive this fallen world because you are the great I am. Father last week we saw that many of us are dealing with many trials many struggles much suffering and father I pray over all of us that you will give us great hope Great hope because of what you have done. You raised Jesus from the grave. And great hope in what you will do. Save your children for eternity. Father, thank you for that hope and give us a greater hope. And Father, we look forward to the day we will spend eternity with you. It's the name of Jesus who is the Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing to our God who gives us hope.